One Sunday morning, a young lad was standing outside the sort of meeting part of the church in the entrance hall, and he was staring at this large plaque that was hung in the foyer. And he just stared at it and stared at it and stared at it for ages. And then the pastor walked past and said to him, Morning. He said, Morning. So I see you've been staring at that for ages. And the kid said, Well, yes. What is it? And the pastor said, Well, son, those are all the people from our church who have died in the services over the years. And the kid said, morning or evening, sir? (laughs) Well, hopefully there won't be many today, but we're going to be having a look at service and what God has to say about service in Ephesians chapter 3. And particularly, we're going to be looking at verse 7. And because Ewan is not here, and because I know how much you have missed him, and because you need to get back into training for when he returns, I thought I'd put up some interlinear Greek-English translations, just because he does it so often, uh, we haven't had it for a few weeks, so I thought I'd do that. But in verse 7 it says, I became a servant of the gospel. And the word servant there is a word which in the Greek is, as you can see there, diakonos, one who executes the commands of another, especially of a master, a servant, a servant of the king. Gee, that sounds impressive. But look at the next one. A waiter who serves food and drink. Paul says, I have become one of those for the sake of the gospel. I have become a servant. Now, to many of us, the idea of becoming a servant is something that we probably don't relish. When it comes to giving ourselves, we tend to have a few limits, don't we? And when somebody says to you, are you willing to die in the service of Christ? We say, excuse me, I just remember the roast is burning and I need to get home. But Paul paints a picture that shows serving as one of the main purposes and points of the Christian life. Now, don't don't get me wrong on this. I'm not being, well, I am being critical, so get me wrong if you want to. But there is a tendency amongst a lot of folk to paint the Christian life as some very easy game that we play. Actually, the Christian life is a life of service to Christ. It's hard work. It's not always comfortable. As we look at this, we see Paul introducing himself in this passage. Now, we all introduce ourselves to people. I introduced myself to Jenny this evening. And I'm sure she'll get over it, but, you know, I introduced myself to her. Uh, What you may not get over, I introduced Marilyn to her as well. But we introduce ourselves, and we often do that with a handshake. We go up and say something like, hi, I'm Ray, or he says, hi, I'm Miggles. For those of you who were here a couple of weeks back when he was renamed by uh, by Matt. 
Men sometimes introduce themselves by saying things like, hello, I'm a financial consultant, or I'm a farmer, or I'm whatever, as if somehow their, their occupation is their identity. We introduce ourselves by telling people something about ourselves. And Paul introduces himself in a way that may seem a little bit embarrassing. I'm not sure it's the way I would want to introduce myself. He says, hi, I'm Paul, the prisoner. Well, you may want to introduce yourself that way. That doesn't grab me. But when Paul wrote this, it was true. He was chained in a Roman prison under 24-hour guard. And we see this great missionary, this great man of God, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who established churches in Asia and Europe, and he's now sitting there in jail. But notice, he doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He says, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I find it interesting that he doesn't define himself by his circumstances. He doesn't define himself by the situation in which he finds himself. Instead, he defines himself by his relationship to Jesus. That is the heart of his identity. He's not basing his status on how things are going physically, socially, financially. He's basing his status on where he is positionally. He is a servant of Jesus. Yes, he knows he's under house arrest. Yes, he knows that he may well be put to death. Not because he committed some terrible crime, but because he had the audacity to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He had the audacity to be obedient to what God told him to do. When I read this, I say to myself, how on earth could Paul have this, this attitude? And, and then I realize it's because Paul didn't look at the situation. He recognized who was actually running this universe. He knew that God is sovereign over all, and he knew that if he was in jail, then there's a reason for it. And God knew that reason, although he may not. Now, this is pure speculation on my part. I, I admit that. I have no theological, academic, or other solid ground for basing this on. But think about it. If Paul had not been in jail, would he have had time to write two-thirds of the New Testament? I doubt it. I don't know. But I know he says, Hi, I'm Paul the prisoner of Jesus Christ. And I know that he wrote a good portion of his letters while he was a prisoner. And so, in a sense, his imprisonment served as a blessing to the Christians of his day, and 2,000 years later, his imprisonment is serving as a blessing to you and I. He was willing to be put in whatever position God wanted him to, because he saw himself as God's servant. He says, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. 
as Christians, we sometimes think of service as an optional extra. We think of serving Christ as a volunteer type thing. I'll do it if I feel like it. I'll do it if it's convenient. I'll do it if people will see me and say, oh, isn't he great? (laughs) Yeah, sadly there are a lot of people who want to serve God, but only in an advisory capacity. God is looking for sacrificial service from you and sacrificial service from me. Now, this may be a stupid statement, but I... He could have easily been a proud man. He could have easily called himself a rabbi, rightly called himself an apostle, rightly called himself a church planter, rightly called himself a theologian. He could have called all these things. What does he choose to call himself? A prisoner of Christ, a servant. Why? Because that's how he saw himself. In verse 8 he says, even though I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach the gospel, the boundless riches of Christ. In 1 Corinthians, he introduces himself as the least of the apostles. Here, a few years have gone by, and he says, <laughs> I'm the least of the Lord's people. In Timothy, he refers to himself as the chief of sinners. What happened was as Paul grew closer to the Lord and he saw more of God's holiness, it exposed more of his own sinfulness. Grace is a way of cutting down our pride and when we truly understand that salvation is all of God and not of us, it tends to whittle away our self-importance and make us realize that all we can do is say, thank you, Lord, Here I am. Use me in whatever way you choose. There are different ways we can serve God. We can serve him self-righteously, concerned with how it's going to affect our position, our standing, how we want to appear to people. I wanted to wear a cap tonight so I could feel that I was part of the, you know, the, the, the elite group and I could be seen in that context. But Marilyn wouldn't let me. She said a mask would be fine, but a cap was not acceptable. But we're not called to that sort of service. No, it's not about me. Self-righteous service looks for external rewards. Sacrificial service is often anonymous. Self-righteous service picks and chooses when it will serve and who it will serve. True service for Christ seeks to serve all those in need who the Lord leads us to. Self-righteous service is affected by our moods and our whims. True service for Christ says we are faithful however we may feel. 
And you may find this hard to believe. Even someone as holy as me often doesn't feel like doing things for God. I really don't. I have bad days. I get grumpy. I question. But that's irrelevant. I'm not called to base my service for Christ on how I'm feeling, but on what God has done and what God has said. And so therefore I'm called to go on and serve him, even though I may not feel in the mood. We seem to have forgotten why Jesus came, you know. Yes, he came to seek and to save the lost. Praise God for that. But he also came, the Bible says, to serve. Listen to the words of Mark. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first amongst you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If it was good enough for Jesus to serve, it's good enough for you and for me. Oh, but Lord, I'm so important. Lord, don't you know I, I got a university degree? I bought it at Asda. No, that's irrelevant. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. It's amazing how God was prepared to come down and serve. I'm sure Jesus, and again I have no theological backing for this statement, but it seems reasonable to me. I'm sure Jesus got tired of some of the silly questions that his disciples asked him. I mean, they'd followed him for, for years. They'd heard him many times. They'd spoken to him many times. And then they come and they say, Can I be sitting on your right hand? Can I sit on your left hand? Who's going to be the greatest? Can, can, can it be me? Can it be me? And he has to explain to them again. Actually, if you want to be great, in the eyes of God, you become a servant. See, they had a misunderstanding of greatness. They measured greatness by society's standards. While Jesus made it very clear that's not the measure that he uses. Now, he must have, as I said, got fed up after three years of repeating this. But, you know, I, I, I don't want to be sort of discourteous to anybody. But he's been saying it for 2,000 years, and I still haven't got the message properly, have you? We need to get the message. Our greatness in the eyes of God comes from a servant heart, a willingness to do what God tells us to do, a willingness to be obedient to him, a willingness to sacrifice for him, to be a servant Christ. So he clarifies it. God has always turned human expectations and standards upside down. Esau the firstborn, Jacob the chosen one. Prostitutes and foreigners, 
put them in the lineage of Jesus. Woman caught in adultery, give them grace. Samaritan woman who should be treated like a dog, treated like a person. Jesus says, I want you to do things my way. Now we get into that old, silly discussion. But surely we are saved by grace, not by works. Well, yes. Admission to the kingdom is by grace. No question. But Jesus said your position in that kingdom is based on your faithfulness. Those that count the cost and lower themselves, he says, they are the greatest of all. But Lord, I've got nothing to give. That's okay. Give me yourself, he says. You see, God doesn't need your talents. He can use them, but he doesn't need them. He doesn't need anything that you've got. What he needs is you to surrender to him. Spiritual strength comes from obeying Christ in the simple things. We serve the gospel we serve Christ to strengthen the body. 1 Corinthians 9.19 says, Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all, that I may win them to Christ. You may never have heard of Bruce Thielman, and if so, I'll forgive you, because until I did some research, I'd never heard of Bruce Thielman. But apparently he was a pastor at the First Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh. You should have known that, shouldn't you? But what I loved about him is he, he wrote a conversation he had with a member of his congregation who said to him, you preachers talk a lot about do unto others, but when you get right down to it, it comes down to basin theology. Basin theology? W what's that? And this man said, remember what Pilate did when he had a chance to acquit Jesus? He called for a basin, and he washed his hands on the whole thing. But Jesus, the night before his death, also called for a basin, and he washed the feet of the disciples. It comes down to basin theology. Which one will you use? Are you willing to serve? Does our service stop when the service stops? No, actually, that's when it starts. Uh, again, I'm delighted to see every one of you here, even those who are here by, in spirit only. I see the whole upstairs is filled with those types. I'm delighted to see you here. But being here, sitting here, is not service. It's worship, it's learning, it's equipping, it's getting ready to go out and serve. Do we sit around and wait for opportunities to serve? No. We seek them. We say, Lord, what do you want to use me for today? And we don't do it in the sense of, Lord, what do you want to use me for today? And I'll consider it when I find out, and if it suits me, I'll do it. 
No, Lord, what do you want to use me for today? And I'll do what you said. You've possibly heard this before, but I don't care. You're not listening anyway, so let's go through it again. There were four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There's an important task to be done, and everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job, but nobody realized that everybody thought anybody could do it. And it ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. People say, I want to be somebody. Well, you are somebody. You are somebody that God wants to use. In order to serve Christ, we can't wait for others to make us happy. The Bible says we wait on the Lord and he will renew our strength. And when it says waiting on the Lord, it's not talking about sitting patiently, sucking our thumb. It's the same word there that was used before, the waiter in the restaurant. The waiter in the restaurant is ready at a moment's notice to do what the customer wants. He's watching discreetly from a distance maybe, hopefully, but he'll refill your cup when it needs refilling. He'll take away the dirty plate when it needs taken away. He'll bring you the bill, blast him when, when it needs to be brought to you. The waiter has humbled himself and become the servant waiting to see what you want and he will do it. And God says, won't you be that kind of waiter? Look at what I'm wanting from you and do it. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he gave a commandment. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you are to love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. How much? Do you love God? Because love is more than a word. You see, faith in action is love. And love in action is service, however you may feel about it. Are you willing today to say, Lord, I want to be your servant? I want to do what you want me to do. I want to honor you and glorify you and put you first. Show me your will, Lord, and I will do it. But be careful. He'll take you at your word. He will show you his will. And he will expect you to do it. Do you love him? Will you serve him? Let's pray together. Father, Thank you for your love for us. A sacrificial love. Thank you for Jesus' servant attitude. Thank you for people like Paul who were prepared to die for you and how much they have blessed us. Help me. Help each one of us, Lord, to be your servants. 
to surrender to you. And to do what you tell us to do. Amen.